everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with me, as always. Going to talk some basketball first. It's it's biggest game of the year. Uh, probably don't need to spend that much time hyping it up. Number 7 Michigan versus number 9 Michigan State. Winner gets at least a share of the Big Ten title. Loser does not. Uh, there's also some seeding, both for the Big Ten tournament and CAA tournament in play. I believe that this is the first time that it is it has come down to one game like this, last game of the year. I know 2013, Michigan had a chance to uh, snag the Big Ten title. They lost at home to Indiana in the final game of the year. But, you know, this is, this is big time. You know, rivalry game, two best teams all year. Uh, projected best teams, actual best teams. You know, we'll see. I guess in, in a week if Purdue is better than these two teams. But you know, these these two teams have done just about everything right all year, and one of them gets a banner on on Saturday. So it's it's big matchup. We'll talk about that. We'll have some football stuff. We're gonna we're gonna start our positional previews in the spring. Uh, we won't do them all today. Today will be quarterback and running back. And then next week, we'll finish out the offense, and then we'll do the defense at some point, either next week or the week after. We'll we'll work through them. Uh, Spring practices start next week. At some point, I don't think they've announced a date, but but they've started it. Uh, So we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, But first, looking at this basketball game, you know, Steve, I assume you watched the Purdue-Minnesota game. (laughs) Both, I think the entire state of Michigan was rooting for Minnesota in, in that game because obviously them beating the Boilermakers meant that Purdue couldn't clinch the outright Big Ten title on its own. Uh, every, all three teams are now tied at 15-4. and four. Purdue has to win at Northwestern. I like their chances of doing so. Uh, but, but this opens things up for, I mean, really, it feels a lot like a football situation. You know, it's a lot like Michigan-Ohio State, you know, two of the last three years when they faced the winner goes on, you know, the two best teams in the Big Ten. Winner heads to the Big Ten championship game. I I, I don't really have a question, but it, it's a big matchup, you know, and it's, uh, I guess, your perspective on this big matchup and, and how did Purdue losing increase your excitement level? I don't know. I mean, like, remember last week we talked about I guess it's one of those, it was like, this game is a, a huge, it was going to be a big game, even if Purdue had won. Uh, the biggest thing to me is, is just that the shuffling going on in the rest of the conference to see where, depending, again, I, I don't have the, I've been looking for a current, like, sort of bracket. I haven't found one. Uh, like, who knows? Like, losing may make give them an easier path to the championship game, for all we know right now, depending on who's who is where. Uh, heading into next weekend, right? So, you know, that's that's kind of the biggest thing to me because, oh, I, I suppose you'd look at again. There's two ways though, because the, the flip side is, you know, say they win on on Saturday. Now all of a sudden, you're number one seed heading in the Big Ten tournament. Maybe you only need to win one one game, maybe two of those three games to maybe be in the conversation for a one seed in the Big Tournament, right? Mm-hmm. So. I guess that's the flip side in that uh, I guess I don't like I always I'm trying to go big picture here is like I don't know what the what would be more impressive to the committee right say Michigan State was to beat Michigan on Saturday but then let's say Michigan was to come back and win the Big Ten tournament or 
you know, Michigan wins on Saturday and then makes maybe loses in the championship game or something like that to whether it's Michigan state or somebody else. It's like, it just depends. Obviously best case scenario, they don't lose either at all. They went out in the tournament and, and went on Saturday. But uh, so I guess that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. I remember the last time we were looking at the bracket, it looked favorable for Michigan where they were at the time, uh, you know? And so I don't, again, I don't know. I mean, you see these teams are all beating each other. I don't know what the exact seating is right now, uh, but that's kind of the way I look at it. Again, it's a big game either way. I, I don't like the idea of the sharing of the regular season championship uh, at all, especially if you consider – I know it's an unbalanced schedule deal, but, I mean, Michigan did beat Purdue in the one head-to-head matchup they had. If Michigan was to win on Saturday, I don't know how you would say Michigan – you know, how, how is that any different technically than Michigan-Ohio State this year in football? <laughs> no, it's not though, right? It's of course Ohio State beating Michigan gave them the number one, gave them the top seed. But how is like just strictly from a logic standpoint, if Michigan if Michigan wins on Saturday and then they have to hang like a co? No, it doesn't say co. It just says Big it doesn't Ten say co. It just yeah. says, okay. Well, in yeah. that case, like, <laughs> but Purdue also Harbaugh, doesn't Jim say Harbaugh co. Harbaugh <laughs> has won a conference, has won at least a division title. Then right? Is if that's what we're <laughs> we're gonna go with that. You know, so I'm just not. I, I feel like it should be outright based on a tiebreaker. I guess is the way I'm saying it. So, so. what happens if? Because Michigan, Michigan State, or sorry, Michigan State and Purdue split. No, I'm not really listening to you. I'm not. I don't care. What, I, I don't think it should be. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that I'm right no matter what here. So I don't know, but I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But again, I'm, I'm just speaking from Michigan standpoint. They can't help it that they only played Purdue once. I guess technically Purdue can't help it that they only played Michigan once. And it was but, on the road. Right. Uh, so. Whatever. I again. I, I'm. My outlook is much more towards the big tournament than it is the big. It's my outlook is big tournament, and then seeding for the Big Ten tournament, and then this regular season deal. Like in my opinion, I guess because I think the the outcome of the Big Ten tournament will probably do more for where Michigan is seeded than the outcome of Saturday's game. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, because I mean, a, semi, a semifinal and then a championship win in the Big Ten tournament means they probably beat some combination of Wisconsin, Purdue, Maryland, Michigan State back to back, you know. And so uh, I guess so that's the sort of what I'm looking at in that regard. This game's just always big just because it's it's always big. I mean, how can you not say at this point, this is one of the two or three best rivalries in college basketball? It has to be, right? I mean, yeah. They're they're constant. There's usually something on the line when they're playing. Granted, it's not always in last game of the regular season with this on the line, but uh, you know these are two programs now. Are Michigan State obviously been doing a little bit longer than Michigan, but these are two programs that are putting kids in the pros. They're making runs in the tournament. You know, it's like these are two of the best programs of the last. You know, I don't know. I mean, they've both they've both had their downs a little bit, I guess. I mean, you'd probably say Michigan's five-year, six-year run has been better than Michigan State's, but if you go back 10, 12, it's Michigan State probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, These are the two best teams. In the, these have been the two best programs in the Big Ten, I would assume. And, yes. Uh, right, and so, well, so it's big in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Right, it's big in that regard, and then obviously the fan bases and the, you know, they don't really like each other very much, and you know, so it's that. So it's it's from that regard. It's obviously a huge, huge game on Saturday. But for me, I'm always looking more at like the how the, how will this affect, 
you know, the big picture for Michigan going forward. Well, for those who want to dissect the big picture, I I did a bracketology breakdown looking at where different publications project them, what their resume is, how it compares, you know, how maybe the resume could change. I uh, got to say, with the way Virginia and Duke and Gonzaga have been, I think it's hard for me not to look at them as locks, as as whether it's fair or not, as locks for the number one seeds. So it's really Tennessee, Kentucky, Michigan State, Michigan, thought maybe North Carolina are all fighting for that yeah. fourth number one. It's a loaded, kind of a crowded field, really. I mean, that's a lot it, it of good is. teams. It is. I agree. So, so what do but, you, I mean, oh, go ahead. Zaga, you know, like, I know it's just I, the way they I, beat teams. It's, it's the one tweak I have with the net rankings is whatever it is, they it seems like they put a little too much stock into margin of victory. Sure. And so, like, like for example, Northwestern just moved up eleven spots from ninety-five to eighty-four. Not that they're in the picture of anything. For beating right. Ohio State, but that game was like kind of like a five to seven point game most of the way, and then Ohio sure. State just—I don't—I probably unfair to say they gave up, but they ended up getting outscored like ten nothing in the final few minutes, and it, and it hurt them. You know, it probably knocked them out of the tournament. It's like you know, I think someone has pointed out like the key to being a good net team is if you're going to lose, don't lose by a lot of points. And so as Iowa continues to fall a little bit, suddenly that what it's 16 14 point loss to to michigan had to them suddenly that looks pretty bad so say you're michigan i mean is there a party of just maybe rather get the two seed in the west and meet up with them i mean i think in anaheim yeah (laughs) i mean that's it you know anaheim still i just looked it up it's still 1300 miles from gonzaga's campus you know it's not like they're gonna and like they were they were there last year that's what I'm saying. I yeah. keep going back to the the just the tra- the fans that Michigan brought in to LA was something I'll never forget. I mean, those were two home games they played mm-hmm. in those in those games. You know, and it's like so that's what cuz that's where they're at right now. The Michigan's currently second in the West. And that's it's kind of ironic the uh Villanova, Houston and Florida State are all in that bracket. They don't I know. I, is this Lunardi's? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah which, who knows? But <laughs> still, though, it's like I don't know. Uh, it's just uh, I think I'm Goldblog pointed out. Lunardi has to be doing it as a troll at this point because there's no way he would have. Because <laughs> one, you can't same. you can't have a rematch from the regular season in the second round, right? You, like like they literally that's against the the guidelines, and I I'm skeptical they would put. Houston and Florida State there. I mean, that would be funny. That's what I say. It's like yeah. it's a lot of the same. Yeah, it's like a you know those are three, four of the same teams in the same bracket last year. So. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah. So anyway. I I think two seed is probably what's going to happen. I mean, if they if they I, beat Michigan I, State I on the road and then they win the Big Ten tournament, I think that they they have a very good case for number one because then you're looking at what thirteen quadrant one wins and a a thirty and four record. You know, it's just. I could, yeah. yeah, it'd be hard to sit there and look at Gonzaga's like six quadrant one wins and be like, oh yeah. When well, <laughs> you see Duke, Duke continue to, you know, they should have lost to a really bad Wake Forest team, um, and I know they don't have uh, the great one, 
but hey, they all they he's still really have good. Like, <laughs> they you know they still have like six McDonald's All Americans on their team. Yeah. Besides, you know, so. Um, well, the one thing though, the reason why I think Duke is locked in, and I say I said whether it's fair or not, they didn't move down in the net rankings. I think they lost their top spot to Virginia, but they're sure. still number two. So it's I like love Virginia, jeez. That is a team Michigan doesn't want to face. I agree. You know, I, I watched Kyle Guy, who wasn't Kyle Guy was like a top target for Michigan in that class, wasn't he? A guy they really, really wanted. Yeah. His his shooting motion, and I thought I saw somebody tweet this. His shooting motion almost looks exactly like Ray Allen's. It's crazy. You'd have to go back and watch it, but he kind of does that. Uh, I don't know. It's almost like he's shooting a gun. Like he cocks back, and then you know, like it's it's a weird. Like he pulls it up and shoots it. I don't know. It's really odd, but the first thing I saw, it's kind of the same way I felt when I saw Adrian Nunez shooting the ball. looks just like Clay Thompson. Hmm. His shooting motion is almost exactly like Clay Thompson's is. So, um, yeah, I agree, though. Virginia, got to think. And then they have the motivating factor on their side after getting embarrassed last year, too. You know, yeah. Yeah, I agree that not a team. You just feel like that they'll play Michigan State at some point because it feels like Virginia plays Michigan State every year in the tournament except for last year. So, <laughs> um but no, my my roommate went to Virginia, so I've watched probably fifteen to eighteen Virginia games this year. <laughs> I have yet to have a. It, it it's kind of like when you watch Alabama football. It's just they, they look like they're playing in a different league than everybody yep. else. And and no, I, I, I didn't agree, watch man. the Duke games. In fairness, so I didn't. You know, those are the two that they've lost. So that's kind of right. The, but Duke. I know the one like Duke shot like Duke, who's one yeah. of the worst three point shooters in the country. Yeah, they yeah. shot like some ridiculous percentage from three. Which, again, that's one of those deals where sometimes it's just going to happen. But um, which is why, again, because you assume. I mean, I don't know what's going on with Williamson or not, but Duke's always going to be dangerous for that reason. Where it's like they have played so well, but they really haven't maybe played up to their capability necessarily. Uh, that's kind of the same way I look at Michigan, though, too, especially offensively. You know, like go back to the game on on Sunday. You know, they missed they they shot the ball so poorly in the first half. But I would I would bet that Beeline would have said, or maybe did say, uh, I thought that their offense was fine. They just weren't hitting the shots. Like they that's that's the thing is like people like yeah. miss a lot of shots and everyone thinks the offense is struggling. That's not always the case. Your offense is struggling when you're not finding open opportunities. They had a ton of them and they just missed them. Yeah. Right. And so there's always that there's to me, you know, with, with some of the guys they have, I know it's not the same perimeter. They're not playing at the same level from the perimeter that they usually do under beeline, but there are definitely a lot of guys on this roster that can shoot the basketball. You got to think they're going to start going in at some point. So, um, yeah, I think I, I think know. I might've said this last week, you know, when I look at offense, I look at how many open shots you had. Cause yeah, if you make some Bush league, like hand completely in your face, you know, fall away three, like the odds you're going to do that every time if you're not named Steph Curry, pretty slim. So right. it's it's about creating the open looks. That's why I think that Michigan State game, and we'll sh- and we'll shift to that in just a moment. That's why I think that game was so much more. Like Michigan State could have won that game by 20 if they had made more than. Well, I, th- I don't think they made a single three in the second half. You know, like and they that. they started out what four for five from three, and I think they finished around like six for 20. So it's. You know, but they had so many open looks, and but anyway, yeah, Virginia looks unstoppable. Duke looks like a team. I don't think Michigan wants to play. There hasn't been an extremely like you know how last year Michigan was on like a six game winning streak at this point, and they were winning the Big Ten tournament. You know, and they just 
started playing out of their minds. And there hasn't been a team that has been uncharacteristically hot. I think the closest is LSU, but I don't even know if their coach is going to survive today. So it's kind of like it's uh, with the, with the new report that you know he was making a bleep bleeping good offer for some of his recruits. But anyway. Yeah, as far as seeding, I think they're locked into the two. It's just about who they're playing and when and where, you know, because I think the worst-case scenario is playing Duke or Kentucky in, like, a Louisville-type regional. Right, right. And and Virginia in a D.C. regional, I don't know how well Virginia's going to travel, but there's a big Charlottesville to D.C. career pipeline. Like, it's kind of like... Kind of like Michigan fans in Chicago, where it's just like you know a lot of people go there. But that's why I say you almost want to go out west if you're like that's what I mean. It's yeah. like you almost like would want to be the two seed out west. You know, I mean maybe Kansas City, but it it would depend on who you're matched up with on the other side of the bracket. Whether it's you're whether you're the one or the two seed, you know, it's going to depend on who you're matched up with on the other side. Yeah, it's so like, weird it's, that like a lot of these potential two seeds like Kentucky or, or three or four seeds even like Kentucky, Kansas. It's like, man, <laughs> I mean, these projections right now, I feel like that except for D.C. where this has Virginia as the one in state Michigan State as a two, you know, and that's in D.C. That's a huge advantage for Virginia. But like Duke play in Tennessee in Louisville. I don't know. Tennessee's going to travel well, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's I wouldn't call that a huge advantage. And like I said, you go out west, man, and I know Gonzaga's out in the west coast, but I just I just never get over you know, granted I know they were playing what Texas A&M and Florida State, right? But, right. That's a big man, part of it. Games, but yeah, but those who, who are you going to play this just, year? Who who right. are who are the other seeds? Right. Houston and and LSU. Houston, you got yeah, Houston, Florida State, Iowa State. Washington, but they're an eight. I mean, you can't imagine that they'd get out of the regional. Uh, you know, again, these are just projections. But Washington versus Gonzaga, man, that'd be a interesting be an second round matchup. And that's where you say where he's trolling is like, yeah. Yeah, that's just like a, you know, one of those like. But at the same time, you know, you always kind of wonder if they do put together, if the numbers fit. You know, if they try to put together some matchups that might attract a little more attention than say, well, like on the East region, like Virginia Baylor doesn't really get anybody going, yeah. but Gonzaga Washington, you're like, Oh man, that's a it's basically a rivalry game, you know, like type deal. So yeah, Virginia Baylor and Columbus, Ohio is not going to yeah, <laughs> sell the not, tickets. I think it will. Nobody's tuning in for that one, you know, um, unless Baylor pulls out, unless there's like an upset type deal, but yeah. Other you know. bracketology notes, Michigan seems almost locked into play in Des Moines. Uh, yep. Kind of a, testament to the tough to the i'll say imbalanced location bidding i think they need a lot more midwest mid-atlantic teams i mean i'm not sure how this year's regional like i think the biggest city hosting a first weekend is san jose and i think the second biggest is jacksonville i'm not sure how none of the other cities ended up getting anything this year uh, be it Detroit, Philly, Pittsburgh, New York, Boston. You know, it's just kind of bizarre. But tell me something here, though. Like, so I'm looking at I'm looking at the and I I mean, unless I'm like completely glossing over, is I don't see Iowa. Oh, in, never mind. In the tournament, 
they're they're in. Ohio State in the tournament still. I think they're fading. They, I mean, losing by eighteen at Northwestern isn't going to help them. Yeah, no, I, I don't agree. But this is as of today, I believe. Yeah, this is updated today. Still have them as a ten, as a ten seed. But when you got Indiana still possibly in the mix, I mean, come on, <laughs> you talk about a weak field this year. You're right though. I mean, what's Indiana like? What are they like even? Yeah, they're eleventh in the Big Ten. They're six and twelve in the conference. Now, what's helping them hang in the conversation have, is they have, they have six or seven quadrant one wins, and there, know, there's only sixteen teams that have that. Geez, it, they're behind Rutgers in the conference standings right now. I mean, like yeah. what? How how, <laughs> did, how a team that was is six and twelve in conference is even in the conversation to me is again it's they're they're under next four out. So I mean, they're going to have to make a run in the conference in the tournament i'm sure to yeah. the conference tournament but yeah and they uh, have to win their next two games right and so yeah i mean they they've got worked although i do think an understated it's not said enough they did have i mean they had two of their top six players out against michigan uh green is is back if i'm not mistaken uh yeah they did beat wisconsin but i just go i look at this schedule like and Michigan State twice. Somehow. Right, I get, I get that, but what's this? What's this? One. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like twelve or thirteen games at one point. Yeah, and that was recently. Until they just beat Wisconsin and Michigan State. Before that, they had lost twelve of their last thirteen games. Like, yeah, I just I don't know, whatever. But see, and that's where the net. Uh, not to keep acting like I'm. Like, I only know how to say one thing. But the uh-huh. net, you know, they played a lot of those teams close, right? Like Purdue, they almost beat them. They, uh, I'd have to look back for a couple other ones. You know, they, they got beat really bad by Michigan twice. But some of these other games, it's like that yeah. scoring margin. I wonder if they tweak the net. Because scoring margin is a great way to gauge how good you are. But there's got to be some, like, like there should almost be like a dominance score, like how, how close was it throughout the game versus like, you know, I mean I think back to, uh, Michigan Wisconsin, Wisconsin didn't beat Michigan by double digits in in effect they did literally, sure, right. but it it was like a three point game and heading into the final minute. Conversely. It sure seemed like Michigan State was running Michigan out of the building more than the seven point scoring margin ended up being sure so it's whatever it's it's little stuff let's let's switch to saturday's game i i i know we love talking about the tournament but we're also gonna do it next week and the week after so and maybe maybe even weeks after that but i did have a bracketology breakdown you're welcome to read but anyway this game michigan michigan state steven your estimation we got a question i think this was I'll pull up the name in just a moment. But basically asking, what what is going to be different about this matchup? This is Tyler Patterson. What changes do you believe uh, you'll see this Saturday versus the last time Michigan played MSU? And and clearly Michigan needs to make some changes because they got beat at home. You know, I, I and, and you mentioned Michigan just kind of missed a lot of its shots, but it seemed like Michigan State was just more prepared. And I, I can certainly understand why they had a couple more days to to literally prepare, 
and I would not be surprised if Izzo had a couple Michigan-specific wrinkles. But now this time, Michigan has all week to prepare. I mean, they get to rest, guys. They get to, I mean, we'll see what happens with Charles Matthews. You know, they they get to, you know, Yaklich and Beeline get to an extra couple days to watch film. What sticks out as you as the as the things you think you'll see the most as far as the changes you think you'll see from Michigan the most? Well, changes like specifically, I know the you know how they attack Michigan State on the defensive end is going to be interesting based on was it the ball screen stuff that Beeline said he had never seen Michigan State do what they did in their first matchup? Was it about switching or, or Yeah, it was switching? about switching. It was right. apparently they never okay. switched. I, I'm i skeptical that they've never – maybe he meant switched like that. Like like there's certain ways you can level. switch, but it's – I'm skeptical <laughs> in 19 years he's never seen Izzo switch. I just – right. But still, it was but different, or whatever, right? Yeah. It must have been like to that level, yeah. Like you said, it must have been, but you know. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, you know, because I just, I mean, there's one thing I can tell you that Michigan State always seems to do; they seem to let Simpson shoot the ball if he wants to, mm-hmm. and and so I think there's always going to be a little more of an onus on him to to hit. Um, you know, that's and like I said, I go back to last week is like I, I just it was a good game, right? Like I know Michigan did have a couple droughts scoring the basketball, but so did Michigan state, like throughout the entirety of the game had a couple droughts as well. Uh, to me, I just, you know, I, I think it's going to come down to just hitting open shots. Cause like you said, I think they, Michigan state did do a better job than let's say Maryland on Sunday of like having a hand in a guy's face more often. But I still think Michigan did miss, you know, quite a few open opportunities. And uh, I think that's going to be, what this game ends up coming down to uh, because I suspect that they're going to have enough stuff drawn up to create some open shots for some guys. Uh, I think livers specifically is going to be really important in this game. Yeah. You like, I like livers at the three. I I wonder if they kind of keep the, I don't know what Matthew's status is. I don't think it was an accident or a misstatement when beeline said he hopes to have Matthews back in the, like, I don't think he goes out and says that in a CBS interview. If he doesn't, know something that he's not saying right if that makes sense like i, I know um, i wrote the story that he's still listed as day-to-day but i i'm going into this game expecting hopefully i'm not embarrassingly wrong i'm going into this game not expecting matthews or ward to play i don't i agree no yeah. I, I mean it's not embarrassing if you miss it i mean you can only go off of what the tea leaves that are given to us right so and i agree those those tea leaves do lend itself to that because I, I haven't I've really kind of just been operating under the belief he's not going to play either I mean which is why I said I think livers is so important on Saturday you know and then and then again uh it's kind of beating a dead horse here a little bit I, I think you know it, can Jordan Poole get back you know and uh wait wait get back on defense or get back to the game well, play that he was doing in Jordan yeah. Poole the yeah. Jordan Poole that he can be you know and I think that's could be again the million dollar question for really how Michigan's season ends. Uh, you know, it's easy, to, and I, you know, I know, that's the funny thing about this team is you. It feels like every day you could argue there's a different guy who's kind of the most important guy <laughs> for them. You know, because it's 
one day it's Teske and then the next day it's Simpson and uh, you know, Matthews has been in that conversation, but for me, I just, I still think it's pool because he gives them that perimeter dynamic offensively. And then, yeah, his inconsistency on defense, I think has been kind of continued to be a little frustrating. Uh, you know, so I think that's a matchup. Like they, they can win that matchup when he's playing well. Pool versus you know? McQuaid. Yeah, I think they can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, McQuaid's, McQuaid's having a little bit of a moment, but. He is. He's yeah. having, he's come a long way to his credit. I mean, he's not. He's a different player than I feel like he was maybe last year. And uh, same with Goins too. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think I saw Nick tweet last night that Goins is shooting almost fifty percent from three since the beginning of February. Yeah, that's insane. You know, that's that's. I mean, for a guy who I don't. Maybe I don't. I'm sure, there's no Michigan State fans out here listening. But if correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he was a guy that was even shooting threes last year. Uh, if if he was, it was minimal, right? He shot so, 15 threes last year. There you go. And he made I mean, four of them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's – I mean, you talk about a opening <laughs> up a whole different – He's got 41 you know, this awesome. year. Yeah, and if you're shooting him at that high percentage – because, well, again, a lot of times he's – because he's open too, and he's so he, – and that's what we go back to talking about hitting open shots. He's a guy that's taking full advantage of those open opportunities. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think that's what it comes down to in my opinion. I think it comes down to – pool and livers because i do i think you can kind of count on i think you can count on simpson he i thought you know the thing is i know uh winston i thought both of those guys played exceptional the Mm -hmm. last matchup i know winston ended up with the 27 points but they were their statistics were pretty close leading into that last couple minutes where winston got yeah it was like a 1917 yeah, he had margin. like what did he get like yeah. eight, he got like eight late points off free throws, right? Then they foul him like four yeah. times. Yeah. Uh, again, doesn't mean anything because his impact on the game was a lot more than just points and assists. I mean, he was like we talked about last week was making the first pass to set up the second pass type deal. I mean, he had a really great vision on the floor, but I thought Simpson played really well, you know, on the other side. So, and the same with Teske. I think you can kind of bank on those guys playing some decent ball. I just think it's those. It is. It's those other guys you know, that kind of need to step up a little bit. Well, te- not any easier yeah. Than yeah. I mean, I think Teske, I'm, I agree. I think he's very dependable. I do think he maybe, maybe they didn't scout Tillman enough last game because he ended up six for eight for 14 points. I mean, that's, that's the most efficient a center has been against Michigan all season by far, sure. you know, and, and so I mean, we saw against Bruno Fernando, I mean, you know, he was a big part of why Maryland was in Sunday's game, but at the same time, I could see, I I wasn't too far away, but I wasn't, like, right up on the court, and I could see how frustrated he was, you know, missing those layups. There were seven for, Maryland was seven for 14 on layups on Sunday, and so they need that kind of post defense. I know Michigan State is a tough team because of how aggressively they pass the ball. I think they make the boldest passes, but they work. And and they just circle it around. It's it's they're not the Golden State Warriors. I'm not saying you know they don't they don't shoot a ton of threes, but the way they just cycle and rotate through ball screens and you know long passes, it reminds me of when the Golden State Warriors just kind of like work the ball to all five positions until someone's just embarrassingly open, right? And then they and then they drain a three or, or hit a shot. So let's well, so, say you yeah. points is a guy. I feel like it is. I feel like every time he's taking a shot, he's like yeah, like you said, not just open. I mean, he's 
there's no one within the zip code when he's shooting the ball, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, that's not easy to stop. But again, I think that's the other thing too, though. I go back to the one reason why I kind of feel like, you know, that this, that why Michigan can win this game or, or will win this game is like you, like we said, when we broke down the last game, it's just that Michigan State played so above their heads compared to how they played in a lot of important categories in that game. Was as far as like their turnover ratio. Uh, what was the other? There was another one too that was a big. Where the they were, this game was a complete outlier uh, as far as like statistically. It just you know, it's safe to say that they probably played their best game of the year in that game. I don't think their you would cleanest say that. game for sure. I don't know. Right. Yeah, there were there were some lulls where they weren't hitting their shots either. But as far as like, I mean, the six turnovers. That's, Wasn't that a season low, like by quite a bit. It was. Like, I mean, it was their lowest in like fifty games. You're right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying like, and that, and I think, I guess what I'd say is this: is like, Michigan State played what you could argue was their best game of the year. Again, cleanest, like you said, yes, best, maybe debatable. No doubt that it wasn't one of the best games that Michigan's played all year. Like, you know, and it was, the game was still within reach, I suppose, until like, what about the three, three or four minute mark? Right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, they were, they were projected to win. They were slated to win with 15 minutes to go. And right. I think, I think the more I look back on that game, and maybe I'll, I'll watch, rewatch the game tonight or something to, to verify this. I when I was writing it, I did not realize how. I mean, the fact that Matthews might end up being injured for two weeks, due to an injury he played with in that game. I mean, that just speaks to like you know when they're setting. I think someone counted thirty six ball screens, they set in the second half, that on Simpson, not just you know overall, but on Simpson. You know, it's like in, in in Jordan Poole probably had his worst game of the season. You know, he ended up scoring some some couple shots at the end of the game and and wasn't like but it just seemed like he was mentally out of it on both ends. Iggy Brzdakis, I thought, had had some defensive you know, it's hard to hard to say lapses because Michigan State just did the right move, but he got he was a couple steps behind on some of those screens and I I think it it did feel it didn't feel exceptional in the sense I think Michigan's offense probably did what it can expect to do against a defense like Michigan State's. But the defense, I I think they gave up – here's a stat. They gave up 27 points in the first 10 minutes of the game. In the next 22 minutes of the game, they gave up 27 points. So, you, you know, that those early possessions where Michigan State's just making everything and everything's wide open, if, Michigan's, if Michigan can avoid that to start, it's hard for me not to think Michigan can win. I, I, I'm probably predicting Michigan State to win just because I think, I think at the Breslin, I think the fact that Goins and McQuaid are seniors. I mean, a big part of Michigan's late season runs the past couple of years have been seniors: Zach Irvin, Derek Walton, Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman, Duncan Robinson. I think Mo Wagner was looking at it like a senior, whether he'll admit that or not. You know Charles Matthews this year, but that's you know I think I think Michigan State's just got some veterans that that can persevere. Not that you know non-veterans can't persevere, but I think there's there's something different when it's your senior year, especially guys like McQuaid and Goins who I 
unless I'm mistaken, are not projected to have glowing professional careers. You know, it's more of a quiet overseas or minor leagues situation. And so, you know, this is it for them. This is this is big time. So I don't know what I'm predicting, but but I think as far as the question, what can they change? Offensively, I think it, it you know, without Matthews, you kind of do what you've been doing. I don't know if you've noticed this, Steve. 33 assists the last two games after getting six assists against Michigan State. So they're passing the ball around more. I think they need to continue doing that because I think the ball got stuck a little bit. Like when Michigan State switches everything, they're basically daring Michigan to do stuff one-on-one. But I think Michigan can can counter that a little bit with better passing or, or more sure. frequent passing. So that needs to well, continue. That's, that's yeah, not, That's not even a Michigan State thing. That's usually when Michigan or almost any offense gets bogged down. It's when there's too much individual and too much standing around otherwise, right? I mean, and that's, you know, Michigan's gone through those situations where, you know, and that's why, like I said, I always liked, I liked how Penn State tried to defend Michigan when they beat, when, you know, in that loss where they were, you know, kind of putting the pressure on by the time Michigan got across half court, there was, I don't know, was it 20 seconds? You know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. though, where the kind of that half press sort of deal yeah, where they. I was done it. Yeah. I thought Maryland yeah, like, was going to hit them harder with it on Sunday. Right. And I feel like that had a little bit of an impact, you know, in how Michigan was able, like, they weren't able to really get comfortable in their sets. And so. All it takes uh, is a couple seconds and then you're rushing a shot. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know, but. And we'll see. It's going to be a great game. I mean, this is uh, what it's all about. Regular, You can't really can't ask for much more in a regular season context. No, I no. And as someone who roots for good environments and good games, I'm really excited. I got my victory already. So, you know, I got a great storyline to, to cover. Um, so, yeah, it should be fun. I think, again, just personally, I, I, I get the hunch. I think Izzo said yesterday, one in a million chance – Nick Ward plays. Uh, I know there's. I know we've talked about with football how mental this rivalry can be. That there's probably people out there who are like, "Oh, he's totally like lying," and Ward's gonna right. more likely to play. But I, I don't think he's gonna play. I get a hunch. I mean, things can change, and that's probably why Beeline was so adamant that Matthews is day to day. But I think it's day to day, like how Harbaugh says there's a quarterback competition. Like, yes, if somebody looks better. <laughs> they'll get the job, right. but right, right now they're approaching it, you know, and if Matthews suddenly walks in and says, Hey, I have no pain, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, he's obviously going to play, sure. but they, I think the prognosis or the opinion, the subjective prognosis probably means big 10 tournament, but yeah, it should be, should be a good game. Uh, we'll have lots of preview coverage starting today, uh, Thursday, I guess I should say, over at the MichiganInsider.com, 247sports.com. Uh, I don't really feel like doing a prediction because I've been, at least not not here, because I, I still want to look at some of the stats. And I think this is that one game where it's like, really, there's so much variance for how this game could go. And it, mm-hmm. it really could be like, a, like I could predict close, but that I think either team could, you know, get on a run and, and just keep it going. I... I I don't know. I I will say I think I think Xavier Simpson's gonna be as locked in as as humanly possible. 
Um, you know, I think this is yeah. I love mine. watching those two guys play. Yeah, is, is, is Winston a junior? Yep. So we get another year of this. Yeah, and he's not. He's not. I talked to. I don't know. I don't follow. But it doesn't sound like Winston is a guy in anybody's NBA radars. So it's. Sure. It, yeah, it's it's kind of cool. And you know, going back to the to the rivalry talk. Yeah, Duke UNC is number one, and it's it's not close. With all respect to Michigan, Michigan State, it's just. Uh, it's just a different. They've been do. They've been too good, too consistently for too long, for anything to knock into it. But I think Michigan. I mean, the other the other rivalries in college basketball. Kansas, like Kansas what? State. They, I think they're better than mm-hmm. that because Kansas State isn't good enough year in year out. No. The the state of Florida, the state of Texas, the state of California. They don't have two contenders. Yeah, Oklahoma, no Oklahoma way. State. Once in a while, Washington. Oregon, I think, is a, is it could be an intriguing one if Oregon can avoid this uh, scandal and get back on track moving forward. Um, you know, it's another Indiana Purdue when both of those programs are playing. Yeah, good that's a so great one. The yeah. one, the one that I would Wisconsin, put in Iowa. No, <laughs> the one that I would consider putting ahead of Michigan, Michigan State, and I think it's one of those things where. Your opinion on this rivalry depends on if you know someone involved in the rivalry because I think the rest of the country tries to ignore it, and they only play once Can a I year. Guess? They're, not in the, they're not in the same conference. Can I guess? Go ahead. Is it Xavier Cincinnati? No, Louisville, oh. Kentucky. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Xavier Cincinnati is pretty intense, too. Those two teams. Yeah, that one I think is like because it's one city, it's like right. it's very right. hard for everyone else to appreciate. And they're not, they're not always – like Xavier's not very good this year. And so it's, you know, I think what you're seeing right now, because uh, which which former player from the '89 team came back and said he felt like was it was it Glenn Rice that said Beeline is like Bo Schembechler? I th- oh I think was what you're seeing. Yeah, some somebody said it, and I, I personally I've made that comparison, not in a sure. story, but I've made that comparison where it's, I mean, I didn't. I, I I was 12 when when Bo passed, so I don't really know what he was about. But delivering, overachieving, the classiness, the the values, the continual I success. I think they're a little bit. I think they're pretty different, honestly. Okay. I do, but I can see. I, I have this. I can see. I guess I can see why. Uh, I, I think their biggest common denominator is that they were both really successful. I guess I think personality-wise, yeah. <laughs> though, Bo much more of a uh, well, bully Bo is the yeah, yeah, you know, like much more of a gruff. Like I don't know the right words, but you know, Beeline much more of a uh, <laughs> friendly. You know, and I know maybe behind the scenes, you know, he's your the, grandpa whatever. at the church, right? I mean, that's really, I think that's the public perception anyway, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. And he, I think the public perception of Bo is he was a, I don't know, he was kind of a hard ass, right? I mean, there's really no, I'm trying to think of the best adjective or description well, for that's, him. But. I've heard that, you know, and, and I think it's one of those things where, like, I wonder if that, if Bo's strategy would work in today's society with the way right, players right. are and everything and, and the way social media and everything can be so public. Uh, anyway. Well, so, so I just read, I think Sam talked to some of the 1989 guys, and I think it was actually, it was Higgins who would end up being the guy to hit the game winner against Illinois in the Final Four when Frieder left, 
I think Bo had come in and, and yelled at all the guys and told, told Higgins because there were rumors about Higgins had wanted to transfer, told him that the papers are on my desk. Anytime you want to come in here and quit or something like that, you <laughs> know, and like that's, that's him. That's his style. Right. I beeline is not that type of guy, you yeah, know? And so, correct. Um, yeah. you know, but it, obviously, like I said, it must've worked or had some impact as he, again, put them in the, in the national championship game with one shot. So, so anyway, uh, that was tangential. Yeah. What I, what yeah. I was kind of getting at was the on, on field success. And I think, you know, again, I think they're different people, but Woody Hayes is kind of the Tom Izzo. And I think what you're seeing, I think 10, 15 years from now, this stretch from let's say 2011 when Stu Douglas hit the shot to whenever Izzo or Beeline retires, I think it's going to be the X amount of years war because they just, you know, Michigan final, couple final fours, Michigan state, couple final fours, couple big 10 titles, Michigan, couple big 10 titles. And it's just, it's a shame that they had a couple one-offs, you know, the past couple years uh, now that it's back to playing twice a year, and I think I got a hunch they're going to meet next week in Chicago. It's just very cool, you know. And I sure. think if you're a Michigan fan, if you're a Michigan State fan, I know it's easy to get wrapped up in the the, the picking apart the teams and 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 all this. On Saturday, I not that I'm like this bastion of wisdom, but <laughs> I would sit back and enjoy it because that is. That it's it's what everyone wants. Top ten matchup, banner on the line. Saturday night, charged atmosphere, rivalry game, and it, as you pointed out, you know, Izzo versus Beeline, Winston versus Simpson. You know, it's it's just you know, well, Michigan State's got these sport, seniors. Michigan's got sport. you know these underrated guys. Yeah, it's what sports are about. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> how corny could we have made that but i agree but i don't disagree with anything that you said i totally agree this is like these are the types of games again to really at the end of the day i mean it depends on if your team wins or loses or not but these are the kind of games that i don't know six seven months from now you'll maybe search the youtube highlights you years, know and relive. Years from now too yeah that you know like and relive like Kind of depends know, on who wins. Yeah. That, yeah, no, but I mean, that's, I think that's what people, people do that. I mean, yeah. that's why you see like the Kansas, Michigan highlights in 2013, why those mm-hmm. YouTubes have like over a two or three million views is because people keep going back and watching them because they remember, they want to relive that sensation, you know, of uh, what happened. So I think, yeah, I think that's what this is, it's what it's all about. So anyway, sorry for making that corny. Uh, let's, let's switch to, uh, to football for a little bit. <laughs> I don't know the segue, but let's talk about spring football to close out the show. Um, let's start with quarterbacks. I'm not sure what format we want to do for this, but we're going to have lots of preview stuff in the next week and change. Uh, maybe even more if we, if we have more, uh, things that we want to discuss or dissect, but looking at the quarterback position, probably one of the easier position previews. It's, it because I, I would well actually the one is big question so? I would have is what do you do regarding the starting position because Shea Patterson good season last year I I don't want to hear I know people got mad at me because I gave him what a B plus grade on the season uh, I I don't want to hear you know your argument that he was he underthrew somebody people people miss their throws you know unless you're unless you're Tua 
or Kyler or, or, or Dwayne Haskins, all three who are in New York, you know, you're not going to throw to everybody perfectly. And it was his first well, full season as a starter. You say Dwayne Haskins and automatically people, well, he plays for Ohio State, so I can get mad about Patterson not having an 80% completion percentage. Yeah, I mean, he set the Big Ten record in passing yards and touchdowns. And uh, I think he was up there. He might have set the record in efficiency. So it's, look, he he can get better, but he had a good season. It was not not Wilton Spate in 2016 where it was like decent numbers but kind of, Maybe a little disappointing at times, right? Like, or or it wasn't like uh, I'm trying to think of another Rudock. season. We'll see. But Rudock, I think everyone was thrilled with Rudock by the end. But True. yeah, he Patterson was efficient. He was top twenty in completion percentage, quarterback rating, touchdown interception ratio. Uh, you know, he was he was a good quarterback. So what do you do? Because I think the the it's. I think one of our message board posters might have pointed this out. You know, some of Pep Hamilton's parting words were like, use them or lose them regarding Joe Milton, Dylan McCaffrey. And it's not to, we don't need to talk about transfers or anything. I think that timetable's different than what the panic fans like to think. But at the same time, you've got two quarterbacks. McCaffrey looked like he could be a starter on uh, maybe 100, 100 FBS teams, you know, maybe even more. And then Joe Milton, I, I thought, and what we saw, it looked fine. You know, and I think the the hearsay there, I mean, look, they're always going to pump up their players. They're always going to talk nicely about their players. It's not it's not what they say. It's how they say it. Do they find, are they, are they saying, oh, he's doing a nice job, he's making all the throws? Or is it like what Karan Higdon said where he said, remember that name because he's going to go down in Michigan history. Or I think when you – talked to one source after he committed was remember this day you know yeah. and and it's yep. so there's there's clearly something now i think milton he's probably in a situation where and, and mccaffrey probably too they they both understand that patterson's probably the starter for this year but at the same time if you're the coaches you have three talented players They've all got, you know, this isn't a bad thing. They've all got egos. They've all got their own self-esteem. If you are Ben McDaniels and, and Gaddis and Harbaugh, first day of practice, what do you tell the quarterbacks as far as the quarterback battle? Last one wins. Okay, so you open it up. You say, sorry, Shay, you're going to have to earn it again. I mean, that, that's been his, that's been the mantra since the beginning. Right. Yeah, but this is like the one year where there wasn't. Uh, I I I think you have to approach everything the exact same. You talk about because that's the thing. Like you have three. We're talking about that. We have three talented guys in here. I, I don't know if if going the whole this is our guy, we're gonna stand behind him route is necessarily the best way to go. You know because I think if you're Michigan, I think you gotta be on pins and needles that you're going to lose one of these guys. I really feel that way. Especially, I think the biggest reason why I feel that way now is because of just look this transfer portal. Like, look at all this. You know, how many guys just jumped right in, uh, you know, so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, even the fervor around the transfer portal has sort of created this perception that, hey, it's it's really easy for, like, I want to play. 
you know, it's really easy for me to just, all right, you know, like, and so I think, I think the, I think for me, the biggest question for Michigan at quarterback this year is how are you going to keep all three of these guys happy? I think yeah. that's going to be the biggest, I think that's the biggest question, you know, and, and like, like I said, I think, yeah, I think we all agree. I think Patterson is the, obviously the runaway favorite to take the job again this year. I'm going to, I'm going to say one thing though. I I don't necessarily think it's a 100% done deal lock like I think they're in a different I think the the quarterback room is in a different position than it's ever been and that's not just at number one I think that's at number two and number three mm-hmm. you know we're in the fifth we're in year five I think you're finally in a situation where I mean this will be McCaffrey's third year in the system yeah you know and he, I, I think he's a guy that my this is my honest opinion if if he hadn't gotten hurt against Penn State and, you know, say the bowl game kind of turned out sort of similar to how it did. I think he'd have played a ton of snaps in that game. And I think right or wrong, again, I'm not saying I'd buy into it per se, but I think there'd be people at least talking about if McCaffrey was maybe capable of beating him. I, I just, I think McCaffrey's, like you said, I mean, if we're talking about a guy that could start for that many teams across the country, well, who's to say that he, you know, couldn't maybe win that job? Again, I'm not saying I'd predict him. I'd predict Patterson to win it. I think Patterson had a really good year last year. I'm with you on that. In that, I'm not. This is not a knock on Patterson at all. It's more of a Michigan's quarterback room is in like really good shape, in my opinion. And so I, I don't think. Uh, I think you're running the risk of alienating your guys if you come in and take that approach where you're going to say this is our guy, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, or and if you're going to do that. I think you wait till fall camp. I don't definitely don't think you do it in the spring. I think if you do it in the spring, you're setting yourself up for a disaster. Uh, right. You know, I think that's a deal where I think there was the year, I think it was 2016 when Wilton won the job that I think it was like a week into fall camp where it was kind of just understood that it was going to be Wilton's job. And I know Harbaugh had come out eventually and would name him the starter, but uh you know, I think behind the scenes, it was sort of, it was known for quite a while this, this year, again, like I said, I I think, I, you know, I think Patterson's their starter, no doubt, but I just, I don't think it's like a done deal, stone cold lead pipe lock or whatever you want to call it. Hmm. And then I think that I think taking, you know, I just think Michigan has to be very careful about how they approach it. Cause like I said, now all, you know, all you have to do nowadays is just drop your name in this portal. You know, and if if you alienate one of these guys the wrong way or, you know, kind of make that kind of like, I don't know, like darken that light at the end of the tunnel a little bit, then you might get a guy that says, you know what, like, I believe in myself and my talent. Like you said, these guys have egos and, and you know, these are like alpha personalities. Like, I could just go play somewhere else and I, I could go play, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, so... That's yeah. I think that's actually weirdly enough in a position that I think is like ultimately probably a safe bet to bet who the starters on. I actually think quarterbacks like one of the more interesting positions for them this year for that simple reason. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's hard enough keeping two guys happy, right? That's kind of what I'm getting at, let alone three, especially when you know how excited they were about Milton and then also how, comfortable and poised McCaffrey looked, you know, when he was in there. So it's just, I, I guess I don't envy them in that regard. I just think it's going to be really interesting to see how they approach it. Yeah. Cause to counter your argument, you do have to make sure they don't transfer and you do have to make sure that they're happy. 
but also I think off the top of my head, I remember I looked this up at one point. There might have been, I think, might have been one other team, but in my in in Harbaugh's tenure, they have not sent a quarterback to Big Ten media days. I believe the only other team to do that, two teams, Rutgers and Illinois. And so there's something, to, and not that that's like you know, oh, the, you know, Michigan's not right. at that right. level, but there's something to be said for, especially at a position like quarterback, for saying you are the captain, you are the starter, you are the leader, go win a title. And so I think there's something to be said for building the chemistry, having more number one snaps. Right. How about this then? Is it fair to say, let's say, you know, because we don't, we're never really privy necessarily. I think maybe that it's talked about, but I don't think we ever really get the nitty gritty as far as like, you know, kind of who's the guy that commands respect in the locker room. Right. I mean, is it, is it fair to say that, you know, maybe if the, I don't remember exactly when Harbaugh has named his starters in the past, but do you maybe think like the speed or the swiftness of when he decides to name his starter might be a good indicator? You know, let's say, let's say it stretches out and he doesn't name one. Was there a year where he didn't name a guy? Yeah. 20. Right. Well, technically, as you said, 2017, he never officially named one. I think 2016, I don't think he ever made he never made a press release or or quoted on it last year he did last year he did I don't know I wasn't in the insider deal in 2015 I don't know that I don't know that he named one then either I think last year was the first year that like he ever came out publicly and said he's the starter before the game I thought didn't they like they did name they did name Shea though right? Yeah, that's what I mean. Last year, right, right, year. right. Yeah. All right, so I, I mean, so I guess you can you can go off of that, and then see if they approach it any differently this year. You know, if it means if it means anything, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it all means nothing. I know he is kind of a spur of the moment type guy. Harbaugh is, I suppose. So maybe it's nothing, <laughs> but it could yeah. be a deal. You know where. I don't know. You know, like I said, we just don't we don't know who commands the locker room, who the players uh and again, I mean that that probably is and very well could be it that probably is Patterson, right? I'm not again, yeah. this is not a uh Well, you, you know someone's going to take your opening this up. Someone's going to take it as if you're suggesting. Yeah, <laughs> screw them. That's their problem. Like I said, I would I would without hesitation I would predict Patterson to be the starter this year. I just yeah. don't it's just not a. To I'm me, curious not, how they use the other guys though, because they can. I'm. Sh- there's got to be situations, right, where those guys could see the field and be productive. You know, and yeah. it's there's there's got to be something. I don't know. It's it's tricky because like if you have a if you have two starting quarterbacks, you don't have one. You know, it's 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 tricky, but there's got to be something you can do. Some package like have a long specific long right. distance quarterback, you know, or something, but right. Right. Um, oh, I know. Yeah. Just drop back and have people's Jones just sprint down the field and see if Milton can throw it to him. Yeah. Type play. Right? <laughs> yeah. He's your Hail Mary <laughs> specialist, HMQB, but yeah. So, you know, I think there's some value in having the team orbit around your guy, but one thing to also keep in mind with this, with the quarterback, and this is why Harbaugh always keeps it open in addition to maybe not wanting to, 
say everything publicly, sure. is quarterbacks can change a lot. And, like, because, like, all right, Rashawn Gary or Ben Bredesen, they can bulk up. They can add a couple reps to their 225 or, or add a few pounds of muscle or, or improve on their 40 time. Quarterbacks can have blink-of-the-eye transformations because it's more of a skill position. It's reading the plays. It's the accuracy. It's the spin you put on the ball. It's, you know, just little footwork tweaks. It's it's much more of a skill position. So you very well could come into spring ball. If you're Dylan McCaffrey, maybe you've added some weight. Or if you're Joe Milton, maybe you've worked on your accuracy. And suddenly you could look better. I mean, you could look like the better quarterback. So I think I'm with you. As much as I think there's value in orbiting around the quarterback and like saying, like, here's the leader, here's the identity of the team, you know, be a captain, be a leader, get get your chemistry down with your receivers, yada yada. I think there is something I think there's some value in just coming in and saying it's open. Right. Yeah, it'll be Again, I don't, again, like, yeah, whatever. You're right. Somebody will probably take this the wrong way. I'm not, I, I do, I would pick Shea Patterson to be the starter in a heartbeat. I think he mm-hmm. will be the starter. I think he's going to have a really good season. I just, uh, I just, I don't know. You, I don't think it's fair to just fully write, especially McCaffrey, just completely off necessarily. Because I, I think, if he, like I said, if he had stayed healthy, I think people would have seen more. And I think people would have continued to like what they saw, uh-huh. you know, so. Again, next year probably be the big situation at quarterback, right? It's just, I think. Well, because those two are going to battle it out, and whoever's a starter next year stays. Whoever's right. not probably transfers. And it's not, Agreed. not a, you know, it's not Michigan lost the locker room, or it's not such and such no. as a quitter. It's just how no, it works. It's college football today, yeah. yeah. Quarterbacks, is. especially. I think they did something where Georgia it's like. Lost yeah, Georgia lost Justin Fields after and Jacob one year. Eason. Yeah, yeah. After, well, Eason wasn't panning out necessarily but fields is a guy like you know that they lost him after one year because he didn't start pretty much i mean that's whatever you can say i think what they've you want, but done the math like 60 percent of five-star quarterbacks transfer yeah so you know it's just uh it's the way of the world at this point you know but it's not a bad thing it's just no. it's it's you know you go where you can have your best chance to be successful if i was part of i don't know what's whatever student club say i, I don't know if if there's someone ahead of you that's going to be ahead of you for moving forward. Sometimes it's better to move on to a different position. Anyway, probably enough for quarterbacks. Oh, one more. Over under looking into what Harbaugh says. Do you think he announces a starting quarterback before August 1st or after? After. Okay. I'm going to say before because I think I think he says Patterson's the leader. It's up to everyone else to catch him. I think he does some sort of Is that terminology. is that naming a guy the starter though? That's just saying he's the number one guy on August 1st or on July 28th or something. Mm. Okay. You understand what I'm saying, yeah. though, right? I mean, because yeah. I, I don't think there's anybody that would doubt that Patterson's the leader in the clubhouse. Like, I, you know, and he probably, again, almost assuredly will be after spring camp. So, you know, I, I think it's more of like him actually coming out and saying that Shea Patterson will start against, I don't know, who's their opener? Mid- Middle year. Tennessee. Yeah, so you know that Patterson's their starter. Fine, I'll say before, and we'll leave it up to interpretation. That's fine. Yeah, That's fine. yeah, That's we right. can. Not it's not like deal. we're keeping score. Running backs, running backs, real quick before we wrap up the podcast. Uh, kind of a thin group. <laughs> I mean, they lose, they lose some some scholarship upperclassmen. They were 
projected to have based on the age progression. Chris Evans, not sure what his status is. I don't think anyone is is expecting him to play. Whether he returns, maybe. I, I think I've written, it's a free article, go check it out. I've written about how I think there's a chance, but I could very well see where there's not a chance. Omari Samuels, gone. Arrested, gone. Uh, Kurt Taylor, gone, transferred. So you're looking at the only scholarship running back that has been on campus for more than a month and a half is Christian Turner. Because True Wilson is is a walk-on. Now, whether he's put on scholarship, you know, he might be put on scholarship again, maybe, maybe not. And Christian Turner wasn't even an early enrollee. He hasn't been on campus for a full year. Zach Charbonnet, people are excited about him. We talked about last week, with this offensive line and with this passing game, you probably don't need a star running back, but that's a lot of inexperience at a position that certainly doesn't hurt to have experience in. And and it certainly wouldn't hurt, I think, from a spring practice perspective to have a Karan Higdon or Chris Evans type who could show you how to do the work and how to go through practice, how to bring it every day. Because this is going to be Christian Turner's first spring ball, too. So you've got totally new. I mean, this is Jay Harbaugh is going to prove how good of a running backs coach he is. I think this year, you know, I, I think he's shown well, he's done well before, but I think this is this is a tough ask for him. Yep, I uh, agree. Because, yeah. like you said, because yeah, because there's no, yeah, if if they because you like you said every other part of the offense is not only set but is probably going to be like a strength. Mm-hmm. of the team so if the running back position is not carrying its weight it'll be a good indicator that you know that it could be the coaching that is lacking I guess right I mean that'd be, yeah I mean but know. at the same time you also look at the personnel I, I didn't mean to make it be like oh it's make or break year for Jay you know it's no, not like but, that but, but if you're you have four returning starters up front you have the best wide receiver trio in the, in the conference one of the best in the country you have a second-year quarterback coming back who just had a great year, one of the better years. You might lose a starting job. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, funny. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean, though. So, like, <laughs> so at the same time, it's like I, I do think that there is some pressure, though, in that regard because, yeah. it, like you said, I don't think you're going to need – like, I guess – I don't know. Think What would Higdon do this year behind this line in this, in this situation, yeah. right? You'd have yep. to think you'd have a huge, huge year. Uh, so – to me, it comes down to no pressure here, but you know, I don't think Michigan fans are used to like maybe having an instant impact guy at running back. Right. So it could be a deal where if Charbonnet is the real deal, this offense could could maybe get to the next level. Again, t- strictly talent wise, he's definitely the best run- running back they've recruited under Harbaugh for sure. So what uh, makes him talented? I sorry to you know run run you off your thing here, but. You know, there's so much talk about how he was the number one target for Michigan, which has been verified. He was a top 50 recruit in in I think everybody's rankings by the end. Why is he, what makes him good? Like, what separates him from someone else that has people uh, so excited? I, I would say he kind of rem, he's to me sort of a like a Leonard Fournette light. 
I guess would be the best way to put it. As far okay. as like, well, well, I mean, I think it was Greg, was it Greg Biggins? One of our West Coast guys, either mm-hmm. Greg Biggins or Brandon Huffman. I mean, they said that he might be the best running back they've scouted on the West Coast in the last 10 years. Wow. That's not like, that's, that's some heavy praise. So is so he say like a shifty guy? Is he a speed no, guy? He's, like, he's, like I said, like Fournette, I think was a, Fournette was like sort of that rare combination of size and speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not, yeah, he's not like, well, nobody's Barry ever, <laughs> but <Sure. laughs> he's not that, that elusive type guy necessarily. Right. But he's very decisive in his, in his decision-making. Uh, but he also, yeah, he runs with power and he runs with a lot of speed. I mean, he's kind of a total package type kid. He's a bigger kid for a running back uh, in today's eight. I mean, like he's going to be a, a lot bigger guy than like Turner is, let's say, right. Turner is much more of your, compact Higdon style like he, the Charbonnet is a, much more of a sort of a bigger body mm, okay. type kid uh, I do though I, I I like Leonard Fournette light hmm. and uh, I say that as a guy who would have been a five-star if he had played in the Under Armour game I'm almost sure of it and uh, you know so in that case like if he had gotten the bump that I think he would have if he had played in that game or and or participated in those practices then people would probably not think I'm crazy for saying that because, you know, Fournette was a number one, number two overall type guy. I don't think Charbonnet would have been in that conversation at all, but I do think mm-hmm. he'd have moved into the top 20, let's say, you know, and and because his ranking, like I said, I've talked about this a thousand times, is like his ranking was fully off of his game film or like an, or like self, like in-person scouting. You know, there wasn't any of the, shorts and t-shirts type stuff that usually gets these guys the bumps like he didn't go to these camps he didn't do any of that stuff you know so his his ranking you could argue is i don't know as true as anybody's because it's all based off of what happens when the pads are actually on Mm. nobody really played it's worth noting for those wondering oh we haven't seen freshmen make instant impacts that much or at least as a as a number one back because i think evans had more of a specialty role but he played in a very competitive league. Like he was playing in one of the toughest yeah. leagues yep. anywhere, you know, out in California and and he put up numbers. You know, he wasn't some uh, you know, I think sometimes like quarterbacks, I'm always fascinated by it. it's like he's a five star and he threw for like two thousand yards. Like he didn't even like do that much. He put up numbers in a very good league. It's not not the same as playing in college, but as you said, he produced in pads, not just in the eye test, but also just straight up being a good running back. Yeah, I'm watching his highlights right now, and it is. It's just that speed-power combo, man. But the one thing – so, you know, interesting, I don't know. I'm sure some know this. I think somebody did a story. I'd always kind of want to get a hold of him just because I could tell people I talked to him. But Eric Dickerson's actually the running back's coach at his high school. Hmm. Yeah, really interesting story, and I've always wondered. I'd you know always wanted to hear more about what he thought about him because if there's anybody who would know what a good running back looks like, it'd be Eric freaking Dickerson. So, right. um, you know, but he does though, man. Like he's got, he's just a total package guy. Like I said, I think that, and that's the other thing to remember, uh, and also kind of to remember about Turner too. Is like Turner was a top target too. Yeah, it was, was. It was a com- eighty-seven. It was a competitive yeah. battle between Michigan and Notre Dame. Like, I think he's someone, Correct. I think people, you know, I can't tell well, what the fans think of him. On, if people yeah. are sleeping on him, it's not because of us, because I had the same conversation with people last year about that he was a guy they wanted the entire time, and he was a near, 
maybe not the number one guy. Like Charbonnet was the number one back on their board, bar none. Turner, I wouldn't necessarily say he was the number one guy, uh, but he was definitely, he was way up there. And he was from the beginning, from when they offered him. Because I think they always saw a lot of, they actually, I think the best comparison for Turner is I think they see another Karan Higdon, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. And, uh, you know, Another three-star that they liked a lot. Turned yeah. out well, you know. Yeah, because that was a, yeah, Higdon was a Harbaugh evaluation and offer and on stuff. That was not a Hulk holdover. Like, Higdon was a guy that Michigan got in on after Harbaugh was hired and mm-hmm. signed, right? So, uh, but yeah, so I mean, you know, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about with Charbonnet is, I mean, he's, I think he's fighting like a minor injury, uh, you know, so we'll see what they get out of him this spring. Like if he'll be okay. on the field in the spring game or not, I don't know, but it's not a concern or, you know, that type of deal it's, if anything, they're going to just be really conservative about it because they think he can make an impact this year. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, uh, better to be safe than sorry for a guy that you anticipate is going to play. Right. So right. I think he, in a, in a way you could argue he might walk on the campus and be one of their more important players because he, I do, I think he's a guy, I think he's the one guy on the roster. And again, I, I say this knowing that they do love what Turner offers and that Turner can be a, a really good running back for them. But I just, this guy's cut from a little bit of a different cloth, I think. And, and I think Michigan feels that way. And I think he's a guy they think can kind of take that next level step. Again, will he do it right away? I, I don't know. And like you said, it's, you know, freshman running backs who make a big impact don't come around every corner, but it is one of those positions where a guy can make an early impact, maybe more so than some other spots, you know, and I think you've seen it with some of the higher ranked backs in the past mm-hmm. or guys that have played right away and done some stuff. So, you know, it'll be interesting in that regard. I think another guy to watch out for, actually is Hassan Haskins who Yeah, I was just going to ask a, who's who's yep, they need they need a fourth guy not they, they got to move somebody anymore. yeah yeah not a linebacker yeah, and he's like from you know from what I've been told he's a guy that is a really really big standout in the weight room and in the like it's just from an athletic standpoint like he like that's half the reason they offered him was cuz he's a hmm. very elite athlete for his size uh so you know We'll see. But he's another guy to watch. You know, and again, we're getting to the point where we're literally naming everybody. But <laughs> but, but, but this is one of those time, positions though, where that's what you do. Because right they, they need is. four guys, at right. least, you know. And, and true is true. You know, like, he's a guy, I think he's, at worst, he's dependable. Okay. Right? And I think that's at worst. At best, I think you're getting a guy that can definitely make some legitimate contributions. I mean, he's he showed it in, in a couple of the bigger games last year and you got to remember it was really his first opportunity or first time like seeing legit game action really a guy maybe with his running style is a guy that could benefit from this from the uh so much returning experience and talent on the offensive line may benefit from that more than others because he does kind of have that you know that running style where he's he's a little more patient he's a little shiftier you know, he's, I don't, I don't want to say he's like Mike Hart because Mike Hart is Mike Hart, but he's that similar sort of, you know, that guy that can maybe make that second move at the second level. He's not the workhorse at the lower body that Mike Hart was, but as far as like his shiftiness and, the, and kind of the moves that he's, he can make, I think he's got some similarity there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's just I do think there is something to be said that a lot of his a lot of his carries and yards came in the second half of games and fourth quarter of games, kind of blowout type situations. But as you said, the floor is pretty high for him. Like he's not going to be unproductive, you know, he's not volatile. At least you have somebody. And you don't need you don't need a 1200-yard first team all Big 10 running back this year with everything else you have. So Anyone else you think, uh, you know, again, it's kind of annoying to just list them. Anyone else no. you think could switch positions to running back or that you're forecasting ahead of spring ball? Oh, boy. Because uh, I'm not really sure what's going on with Michael Barrett, and that's not because it's, like, in flux. It's just because I literally don't really know. Uh, that's something I could probably find out, but don't really have a beat on that at this point. Otherwise, I don't know. Not really. I was, I'd say this, I was semi-surprised that they didn't sign a second running back in 2019. Okay. Semi-surprised. Were they, was that their choosing? No, that was a conscious, conscious decision okay. to only pursue one at the end of the day. I think they thought about it after Eric Gray opened things back up, which I'll tell you what, he's another guy. If he had signed, I think he's a guy that would have made an instant impact. you got to remember, though, too, is two of these departures with Samuels and Evans were not like, Again, we're not writing (laughs) off Evans completely here, but, you know, yeah, these were not like, yeah, these weren't your typical departure type situations, right? So, uh, you know, that throws a little bit of a monkey wrench into things as far as that goes. So, you know, but but I I was mildly surprised that they didn't sign a second. And if Eric Gray had signed with the Wolverines, I think he'd be a guy that probably would be seeing the field this year too. I mean, they thought that highly of him. So, Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, maybe there's a grad transfer in the work, you know, that that could pop up. It seems like they should, they want one more guy. I, I, you know, I, I'm not talking, this isn't from the coaches, just logistically. It's kind of like offensive line. You probably want a second string that you're okay putting out there. If you want to be a good unit, because it's just, you can't give all of your snaps to Zach Charbonnet and cross your fingers and expect him to do well. I mean, I think every, every year a running back misses a game due to injury. And, you know, we've talked about how they use that third running back. That can be a key position. Well, if they don't have a clear number one, suddenly the third and fourth position become very important too. So. Yes, I agree it is. And that's with how physically demanding the position is, I agree that they feel feel a little little thin. Mm -hmm. And that's that's something I think, uh, yeah, needs to – it's definitely – there, it, it, well, I think it was what it was tops in your worst or lowest in your yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it was the lowest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, and that's for a reason. Work I mean, it to is. be it's, done. It's, mm-hmm. it's thin and inexperienced. I mean, the Evans, the Evans situation may will play a role in you know maybe the confidence at the position overall going into the season. But if if you look at what, who's actually on the team and on the roster right now, yeah, I mean, I think there's yeah there's pressure on guys that normally you wouldn't want pressure to be on necessarily mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. a second year player a yeah. true freshman a former preferred walk-on you know so yeah it's definitely yeah it's gonna be interesting but like we all on the flip side they they may just be able to succeed anyway because of everything they have around them like yep. the tools the tool they have all the tools to succeed as a unit you know outside of probably experience Right? That's really about the only major tool that they don't have as a unit is experience. 
you know, they have everything else. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we'll talk about those other position groups next week. Uh, we'll, we'll don't want to do a two hour podcast and then have nothing to discuss next week. So uh, we'll talk about that. I'm sure basketball, big 10 tournament. Uh, we'll talk about that next week as well. Maybe, maybe there's some other news and nuggets that, that come up between now and then. But for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. See you next week.